Amen. All right. Do you guys ever hang out with somebody and you realize quickly you were not on the same page about something? Um, maybe like they asked you to come and hang out or they asked you to come to sleep over or whatever. And you thought you were going to like eat food and watch a movie and have fun. And then they're like texting the whole time or they're like fighting with their sibling the whole time. You're like, well, this was not what I thought I was here for. Or like in college. So I went to nursing school. It was awful, just for the record. If anyone's contemplating being a nurse, it was terrible. And I am not the smartest person in my class, or I was not, and still I'm not the smartest person. So I had to actually study, unlike some people. And I remember quickly finding out that when people asked me to study, sometimes we did not have the same idea about studying. Like this big group of girls, they'd be like, come to the library with us. We like, you could rent out these rooms. And they would be like, we're gonna rent this little room and we're all gonna study. And so I need to actually study. And I show up and these girls are just like laughing and goofing off, like talking about boys and whatever. And I'm like, this is not what I, we were not on the same page when we decided to do this. And I want to point out to you a story tonight that is a little bit like that. And so this is Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And it's gonna be a little bit of reading tonight, but it's all important and it's all good. And before we start to read it, I want to explain to you a little bit about the story in case you've never heard it. So this is the story of the prodigal son. And the story is not just a story about a dad and two sons. The story is a parable, meaning like a, a story that Jesus is using to explain something else. And so the father is representing God in this story. And then the older brother you'll see he stays with the father. So he's representing a believer or a Christian, right? And then there's a younger brother and the younger brother decides to leave the father and to leave the father's house. And he's representative of a non-believer, right? Someone who doesn't live with the Lord, doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. So that being said, let's read. So this is Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed and divided his wealth between two sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time he lost his money, a great famine swept over the land and, began, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed his pigs. The young man became hungry, so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one would give him anything. He finally, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, the hired servants had enough food to spare, and here I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. 
His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead, but now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. But meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back, he told him, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in, and his father came out and begged him. He replied, all these years I've slaved for you, and never once have you done a, or, and ref, never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even a young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. Your brother has been dead, but he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so there's the story of the two sons and the one goes away, but the one, the one older brother, he stays with the father. He stays with the father and somehow they end up being on two different pages. The, the older son, he begins to think that the father wants him to work hard and the father wants him to be in his house and he wants him to work and that's what's important to him. And so when the, when the younger son comes back, he's like, I have been working this whole time. I've been doing what's important to you but they weren't on the same page because the father was like, yeah, yeah, you've been working for me and that, that's great, but can't you see even more importantly than that? My son has come home. My son has come home. And so the older, the older son this whole time thought that what was important to the, the father was that he was gonna stay in his house and work for him. And he didn't understand that was, what was actually important to the father. They were on two different pages. What was actually important to the father was the lost son. That's all he cared about. That's all he cared about. When the son came home, he wasn't like, hey, I told you so. When the son came home, he wasn't like, hey, you know your brother's been working this whole time and where have you been working? And, or even, excuse me, I, I have work to do. That's what's most important to me. That wasn't. He stops everything. The father stops everything because what was most important to him was now back, which was his lost son. And so the older brother, representing a Christian, the older brother is proof in this story that you can be in the father's house, you can have a relationship with the Lord and not have the father's heart, and not have the father's heart. That's exactly what happens to him. The, the older son was in the father's house, was a Christian, had a relationship with the Lord, but did not have the same heart as the father. And I believe tonight that the Holy Spirit wants to speak something, a, a word just like that, that, that in, most, in most churches and in most Christians is the same problem. We've, we we're in the father's house doing the father's work, but we've lost the father's heart. We've decided to replace work with people with work, work with people. We've, we've decided to trade them out. 
And unfortunately, that's, that started to look like this. I'm in the Father's house, I'm, I'm doing the work. I have my own Bible study, I'm in the Father's house, I'm, I serve in kids' ministry. I'm in the Father's house, I, I'm on worship team. I'm in the Father's house, I'm doing the work. I have a relationship with the Lord, I'm doing the work. But do we have the Father's heart? If the older son would have really longed after the father's heart, would have really said, God, God, Father, I, I want a heart that's like yours. And if he would have really wanted his heart to be in tuned with the father, then he would have noticed that every single day, all the father did was, was go out and look, right? He was waiting. The younger son, while he was still far away, God saw him. He was waiting and looking. That's all God cared about was about the lost. That's all he cared about this whole time. That's all the father cared about. And if the older son would have had the same heart as the father, he would have known that that's all, that's all he was looking for was the younger son. That's all he wanted. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. If you guys want to turn there, second Peter chapter three, verse nine. It says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, talking about Jesus coming back. The promise is Jesus coming back. So he says, the Lord really isn't being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. The father, he wants so badly to complete his work. The father wants so badly to bring you up to heaven with him, to be with you, he wants so badly for Jesus to come back and have his bride, right? Can you imagine like a husband waiting for his wedding day? That's what's happening. Jesus waiting for the bride. He, God wants all that to be fulfilled. But more than that, you know what he wants? The lost. He's waiting. And it says it's not, it's not just like he's being slow. God's not just like, mm, waiting for the wedding day. No, he's being patient, it said. He's actually like, okay, come on, come on, come on, come on, right? Like the father was waiting for the younger son. That's all he wants. That's all he longs for is people, is the lost. And if, if we're going to be people that truly have the father's heart, that truly do what's pleasing to the Lord, then we're gonna have to be people who care the most about the lost. And that, that's why, you know, Pastor Josiah and I felt to do this series. Like, God told us at the beginning of the year, focus on two things and two things only. And it, it's not revolutionary, not revolutionary. It's prayer, which is the Lord's help, and evangelism, which is the most important thing. It's asking the Lord to bring in the harvest. That's all that we're waiting for. That's all that God's waiting for to complete his work. And that's all that we should be looking for. You know, I think what happens is, is that some people, it's not really that they don't want to win the loss. I don't think that that's ever it. I think that some people don't know what it's like to be in the pig pen. And for some, for a lot of you, that's a good thing. Maybe you were born, what I mean by that is maybe you were born in the father's house. Maybe you were born into a Christian family. You've never been in a, in a household where God wasn't the head of it. Um, or, you know, maybe, maybe you have been, but for the majority of you, I, I, I almost guarantee it's that you were born into a Christian family or maybe you've just forgotten what it was like. But I hear a lot of people say things like, I can't imagine my life without the Lord. And that's good. And I, cause I can't either. God has done everything for me. Flipped, flipped Josiah and I's life around, around um, eight years ago. 
almost nine years ago, changed our whole lives. So I can't, I, you know, I can't imagine either, but maybe it's time to. Maybe it's, it is time to imagine what life would be like without God. Because to imagine your life in the pig pen is gonna start to give you compassion and passion for people like Jesus did. You know, before, I don't know if all of you know this, but Josiah and, uh, Pastor Josiah and I, sorry, we started youth ministry a long time, well, not a long time ago, but in, in our early 20s at a, different, at a different church. And at this youth ministry, it was vastly different than, than your youth ministry here. Almost, and there's some people in the back, oh, Brian can vouch for me. There was about 90, probably 95% of our entire youth ministry, their parents did not go to church and did not have a relationship with the Lord. And I can tell you story after story after story of what it was like to be that student. We, you know, one time I was, I was preaching a message about purity and about sexual purity, and I was talking to the girls about how if you want to stay sexually pure, you're going to have to put yourself in the right situations and not allow yourself to ever be in wrong situations. So I was telling them like, you should never be laying beside a boy. You know, you shouldn't be alone with a boy and like explaining some of these things. And a 13-year-old girl, eighth grade, raises her hand and says, what if your mom moved in your boyfriend into your room? What do I do now? Because he like, he sleeps in my bed. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, well, his parents kicked him out. He, she's 13, he's 17. And he sleeps in my bed at night. So, and my mom says we can't kick him out. So like, what am I supposed to do then? I'm like, well, that's a good question. We're gonna have to talk to your mom about this. And, and not just that, I, we, had, we had students whose drunk father drugged them by the ankle down the stairs, bruises all down their spine. Some of it is maybe we don't understand what it's like to be in the pig pen. Maybe we don't understand how desperate people are. Maybe we don't understand the, des- the desperation in people's lives because it's real, because it's serious. We rode in the van with students over and over again talking about their uncles and things, m- molesting them, raping them in their own house. I mean, we had students talk to us every, every single day little tiny kids even talk to us about how their parents were just high drooling on themselves in the couch they only ate they only ate food at school because no one was awake to feed them during the nighttime i mean there, there were things there are people stuck in pig pens everywhere there there are people desperate and that that's what some people don't understand it's like we've never we don't understand what it's like we don't understand the desperation and sometimes we can walk by people in the pig pen and think how did you how did you get that way? How did you get that way? I work with people all the time that, that they give birth to babies who are hooked on drugs and, and other nurses will say, I just don't understand that. I just, I just don't get how you get in that situation. I just don't understand how, how somebody's in that muck, in that pig pen. Can you imagine they're about to eat pig food? How gross, how disgusting. You know, you know we talked to one girl with, with, who, who had had a baby addicted to drugs like that and we said, how, how did this happen? Like, how did you get here? And she said, well, when I was 14, my mom started, my mom was on drugs. And so my mom started selling me out to people sexually, selling me out to people so that she could have money for drugs. Because I was the only, she was, she was too hooked. She didn't have enough money to pay. So she literally started selling her daughter out sexually, prostituting her daughter at 14. 
She's like, that's all I've ever known. That's all I've ever known was, was that kind of life. That's all I've ever known. It, I, was, I was, myself was addicted to drugs when I was born. I was, I was already hooked on drugs by the time I was 15 because I couldn't stand it mentally, what all these grown men were doing. I mean, there are people stuck in awful situations, in awful, in awful places, people so desperate. And that, that's the story. That's the story about the, the person in the pig pen. They were so hungry for something, so hungry, it says, that he was just trying to numb the hunger, numb the hunger with something disgusting, something gross, something that would never help him but was so desperate, so desperate just to numb something. And that's what people are doing everywhere. That's what you have to understand is that there are people everywhere stuck in situations like that, just trying to numb, just trying to numb the kind of things that have happened in their life with alcohol, with drugs, with relationships, with trying to change their gender to make them happy, with, with whatever, trying to fix the hunger that's deep down on the inside that can only be fixed by being in the Father's house but they're so desperate, they're trying to numb that hunger with something that you, that you consider disgusting, which it is. But it's like some of, some of them, a lot, a lot of people, they don't know any better. They don't know any better. It's the, they were born in the pig pen. Maybe you were born in the father's house, but they were born in the pig pen and their mom was eating slop and their mom was on, on heroin. Their mom was whatever, you know, had a baby at 14. That's the only thing that they've ever known. But you, you know better. You're the older son. You're the older son. And I think sometimes we lose what that means because that's what happens to this guy. That's what happens to this guy. He's like, this guy was out partying, having a great time, and now he just comes back and partying, having a great time. He was living a terrible time. And you knew you knew that the, if you would have been paying attention to the father's heart, you would have known that all the father wanted was him and you would have been moved to go find him. Go find him. And that, that's, what, that's what our call is. Right now, right here on the earth, it's, it's this, life is this short. This short. And this is the, the amount of time that we have to be the older brother and to go find people who are stuck in that kind of situation and be, to be moved by them. Jesus saw people in awful situations and that's what happens. He was moved with compassion for people. Moved with compassion for people. He saw them they didn't know any better. Even, even as Jesus died, he said, forgive them, they know not what they do. Forgive them, they know not what they do. Jesus knew that there were people who just needed to know, God's not mad at you, he's waiting for you to turn. God's waiting for you to turn to him. And in that verse 20, it says, he's filled with love and compassion. God is filled with love and compassion. And there are people stuck in awful situations just waiting for you, the older brother, to tell them, do you know the father's just waiting? You know life doesn't have to be like this. You know, I, I know you're stuck in this awful situation and maybe you even got yourself there, but do you know that if you just turn that God's waiting for you? People are waiting for you to tell them that. Waiting for you to tell them that. But I think that just incidentally, we end up trading the love for people and the passion for people and God's true heart, which is for the lost, we end up trading it for works. Not, not for, for just works as in righteousness, for work as in serving, as in 
being in the house and just doing what we do, just kids ministry and, and serving at youth and whatever, it's, it's, it's not the same thing as having the Father's heart. This past summer, we did a few outreaches at a park. I don't know if you guys were, some of you guys were there, some of you weren't. And to everyone that, that's in this story that I'm about to tell wasn't here whenever I said that. So you don't have to be like, oh, I wonder who she's talking about. But we were at the park doing an outreach and um, we had a youth table set up. This, it, we were at this park and we had a youth table set up. We were going to have students sign up and register and we were going to come pick them up on a shuttle that week and bring them to church, whole thing. So it's me and um, a few... Um, people who have already graduated and some college students. And we're standing there and the event begins. And Pastor Luke is, I don't know if you've ever been to one of our park outreaches, but he's up on like a little platform like this. And he's beginning to speak to the people about how the Lord loves them and has a plan for their life and whole thing. And as that's happening, I'm in the circle with these um, students and with college students and they're talking about how much they love this. So like, I, I love this. I love um, outreaches. I love ministry. I love this whole thing. It's just like exhilarating to tell people about Jesus. And I'm pumped. I'm excited with them. I'm like, yeah. And um, in walks three girls into the park. And um, one of them has rainbow socks on, like about to like here, real high rainbow socks, and is holding another girl's hand. And then there's another girl with, with them. And they all three come walking in, but they're, I think they're kind of thrown off by how many people are in the park. And then this guy's up on the stage talking. And so he, they're like, Arr! and they kind of pause and like walk over and sit down on this part of the hill. And so it's me and the other students. And, and I'm like, hey, look at these guys. I'm like, come, come with me, come talk to me. Come, or come talk with me to these guys. And they were immediately like, Ooh. like they were like, no you do it. And I was like, oh, okay, but come with me, Lisa, like, come with me. And it took lots of, in, lots of encouragement to get one person to go with me. And so it was so confusing to me and struck me that day that we can, we can say we, we love outreach. We love, we love reaching the lost. We love, we love this whole thing when we think that it's standing behind a table serve. It's like, this is, this is what I'm doing. It's the, I'm doing the work. Like the older brother, I, I'm in the father's house. I'm doing the work, but it's like, you're missing the father's heart. There's three, there's three people right here. And they're like, oh yeah, with the rainbow socks. Yeah. That's why we need to go talk to them. Like clearly there's, there's things on the inside of them, desperation on the inside of them. Look at, and this is not my spiel tonight, but with, with, with homosexuality and with, with, with transgenderism, the whole thing, look at suicide rates, look at them, look at them. They skyrocket. If we really love those people, if we really love people who are confused like that, if we really love those people, then we should be reaching out. We should, we should be the kind of people that, th those are the people that we go after. Those people are th 30 times at risk to kill themselves. We should be going after them the most. And so it struck me that day, maybe we've been like the older brother a little bit. Maybe we're like fine with standing behind the table, but our heart isn't actually where God's heart is. And 
you know, tonight is not to condemn people. And I don't, I don't want that to come across. It's to stir you on the inside, to stir you with compassion, to stir you with passion, with fire for what God really cares about. Because if Satan had it his way, if Satan has it, had it his way, then we would all just be the older brother. We're fine living in God's house. We're fine having a relationship with him. And we're just gonna like work for him. Work for him like in the house, like work for him here, but not actually ever get the father's heart. And if that happens, th this generation will be lost. That's what'll happen. If we don't catch the father's heart, it, this generation will be lost will be lost. And I'm, I'm telling you, God, out of this room, God is raising up people, raising up an army to be the kind of people that have God's heart, not just the kind of people that play church, not just the kind of people who are willing to sit down and to serve, but the kind of people who are willing to catch fire, the kind of people who are willing to catch God's heart and to go after the lost. And that's going to be us in Jesus' name. We're going to be the kind of people who set this community, this city on fire, on fire. It's high time. It's high time to have revival. It's high time. And I, I know people don't outright just don't want to tell people about the lost either because I, I've been there. I've been there. I'll tell you a story on myself. So I work part-time as a nurse, the whole nursing school thing. You heard that. Um, but I work part-time as a nurse and... I was taking care of a lady one day and I felt like I couldn't, the thing was is that I knew her story. Like as a nurse, you, you, they have to tell you a little bit of background about the patient. And I knew her story, but then also I felt like God told me to tell her something. And the something that God told me to tell her was a little bold and a little ferocious. And I wrestled back and forth in my mind so hard. I was like, maybe that was just like what I made up in my mind because I know her story. Maybe it's like, Maybe that was like my idea and that wasn't really what God was saying. And I was wrestling back and forth with this whole thing. And I was like, maybe he said it, maybe he didn't. If I, if I get it wrong, then it's like, am I gonna hurt the situation? And it's like, so I'm like back and forth and back and forth. And I wake up, the, I, I don't do it. I don't do it. I chicken out. I, I convince myself that it's, it was just me. That was just my own idea, my own thought, my own head, whole thing. And I wake up the next morning sick to my stomach. I mean, sick to my stomach. And I'm like, I knew, I just knew in my spirit. I'm like, I, I missed it. That, that was God speaking to that girl and I missed it. I won't ever see that girl again. I won't ever see her again. And I, she ran into me, into me, the re representation of Jesus. And that's how you have to see yourself. If you meet me, you've met Jesus. If you've met me, you've met Jesus. And there, there's no excuse to be anything less. There isn't. And so you have to begin to see yourself that way. But that day I blew it. I, I absolutely blew it. And I remember talking to the Lord, you know, when I woke up and I, I realized like, okay, it's still bothering me. It was, I missed it. And I was telling the Lord, I was like, God, I, I was trying, but it's like, I didn't want to mess it up. I didn't want to mess it up. And God very nicely and very gently was like, haven't you heard that excuse before? And I was like, oh, and it changed my life. And so turn to Matthew 25. This is Matthew chapter 25. And verse 14. And again, this is Jesus telling a parable, a story 
that is not just, not just outright the story. He's telling it because it represents God and then people who serve God. So let me explain it to you a little bit. So in this story, before we start reading, um, there's a man who's going on a long trip. That's God. And then there are people that God give things, gives things to, and it, it's going to call it money. But in reality, it's talking about, you know, if you're in, if you have it at the beginning of your Bible, it's like the parable of the three servants. Um, but it's talking about the kingdom of God because he says the kingdom of heaven is like this. And so he's saying that God gave him money, but what he's saying money, he's talking about opportunities and some people call it talents, like giftings and, and things that God has given you. So now that you understand what's about to be read to you, let's read it. Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servant and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of, of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. And the servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of what, how they had used their money or his money. The servant who he had trusted five bags of silver came forward with five more Master, you gave me five bags to invest, never in five more. And the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so I will give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you've given me two bags of silver to invest and I've earned two more. And the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling a small amount, so now I will give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. And the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So in this story, there are three people who serve the Lord, who serve the master. And the master gives them all opportunities, gives them all things that they can use to build the kingdom, right? To build up his money, his, what he wants. And so he gives all these people things. But the last one, he gives them, he gives them one bag of silver and the guy, he comes back and he says, I didn't do anything with what you gave me because I was afraid I was gonna lose it. I was afraid I was gonna mess it up. And when the Holy Spirit spoke that to me, I was like, oh no, 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 no. I'm not gonna be the wicked and lazy servant. God is saying, if, I, if I've given you something to do, if I've given you opportunities and things, and th you're the only person that sits in your desk at school, you're the only person that works where you work, you're the only person who knows all the people you know, you're the only person in, in, the, in any place at any time with that opportunity and that influence, it's just you. Those are the things that God has given you. Even the fact that I told you you're the older brother, God has entrusted you with that. You're the older brother. You, you didn't grow up in the, in the pig pen. You grew up, most of you grew up in the father's house. You know how good the father is. 
You know, you know that God is just waiting for people to turn to him and that, he'll for, that he's already forgiven them. He's already forgiven them. All he, all he needs is someone to turn to him and accept him. That's all he needs. And you're, you've been entrusted with that. So how dare we say, I was too afraid I was gonna mess it up. And I think that's a lot of people, I think a lot, especially as a teenager, I remember being like, but I, but I don't know what to say, or, but I'm not bold, but I'm not an adult, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. So I'm afraid I'm gonna mess it up. And God doesn't like that. God says, you wicked and lazy servants. It's a, it's a lie. It's a trap that you might mess things up. That you might mess it. God's like, well, you had it. Why didn't you at least put it out there? Why didn't you at least just put it out there? You're actually not responsible for whether you mess it up or not. You're not responsible for that. Did God say, go and make sure that everybody gives their life to the Lord? Is that what he said? No, he said, go and tell people. Go and tell people. That's actually your only sole responsibility is to go and to tell people. And you know, in, in that story, the prodigal son, it says, when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, there are people in the pig pen that are, are, are to their senses now. They're like, I fully understand. This is not what I want out of life. I'm, I've, I am so hungry and I'm just trying to numb this pain with other things. They're, they're to their senses. There are some people who aren't yet and your responsibility is still to tell them. And when they come to their senses, they will turn to the Lord. They will, but it's only, it's only your responsibility to tell them. It's only your responsibility to tell them. So I don't know about you, but I do not want to hear that I'm a wicked and lazy servant, that I was too afraid to mess things up so I didn't talk to people. I don't want, you know, like the whole story with Lazarus and, and the rich man and, and, and all of that. I do not want to get to heaven and see people in hell that I had the opportunity to talk to. And I said, I'm sorry, I was afraid I was gonna mess it up. That's not what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is for God to look at me like these other people and say, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the kind of person I want to be. That's the kind of person, if, if God has given me things, if God has given me opportunities and people to speak to, places in time, grocery stores, cars to walk by, I can put invites on anything. If God has given me anything, let it be spent. Let it be spent using it to advance God's kingdom. Let it be absolutely spent on that. Your life will be poured out. It, it will be poured out. What will you pour it out on? Will it, what will it be spent on? I don't want to just be in the Father's house and do work. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. I want to have genuinely the Father's heart. 